Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Good morning. We'll continue our series on 1 Peter. And today we're going to talk about how to do what's right even when you're not treated right. As Christians, we're called to follow Christ. And there'll be times when we have to do things that don't come natural for us. You know, when I was in college, um, I was visiting my grandfather. Uh, he was a retired Pentecostal preacher, and I was a young preacher going to school to prepare for ministry. And he turned to me one day and he said, Corey, what's the hardest thing to do in the Bible? Well, I thought for a little while, and finally I decided to give up. And I said, I don't know. What is it? And he looked at me and he said, to do good for evil. That is the hardest thing to do in the Bible. Why? Because it doesn't come natural for you or me or anybody else. Uh, the, the normal instinct is if someone cuts us, we're going to cut them. If someone slaps us, we're going to slap them. And so we've got to look at what God's Word says. I'm reminded of the example that Christ set for us in 1 John 2, verse 3. Uh, uh, John, the apostle, said this is how we know that we know Him if we keep His commands. The one who says, I've come to know Him, and yet doesn't keep His commands is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly in Him the love of God is made complete, and this is how we know we are in Him. Or another way to say that would be, this is how we know we are in Christ, in Him, in Christ. The one who says He remains in Him should walk just as He walked. In other words, if someone claims to follow Jesus, they should be doing the same things that Jesus did, okay? And so that reminds me of, well, what did Jesus do? Well, we're called to follow Christ. Think about what Jesus taught. He said, love your enemies. That's not fun, is it? He said, do good to those who hate you. That doesn't come natural. He said, bless those who curse you. Jesus said, pray for those who mistreat you. He said to turn the other cheek. He said to go the extra mile. All of those things we look at in our modern day world and go, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. But what does the word of God say? And then that's what Jesus taught. Let's look at his life. I mean, did his actions back that up? Did he model what he taught? Well, of course he did. Look at how Jesus lived. He washed the disciples' feet. Remember when they were all standing around wondering, where's the person that washes our feet? And Jesus grabs the towel, he grabs the basin, and he begins to wash their feet. Remember Jesus' prayer of forgiveness at the cross. The very people that are cursing him, that are mistreating him, uh, hurling insults at him, that are demanding that he die, he is on that cross and he says, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Think about where his heart and mind had to be to truly pray that prayer for those that were persecuting him and ultimately killing him, praying that prayer for them and meaning it. Okay? And then look at Jesus, how he offered uh, forgiveness to the repentant thief on the cross. Even in his dying moments, he's more concerned about someone that that really needs God in their life, and he extends forgiveness to the repentant thief on the cross. And even though he's going through the worst day of his life, 
he still looks at John, he looks at his mom, and he basically says, you know, you, know, you, you take care of her now. He, took, he secured the care of his mother to John. And so all of these things reveal the heart of Jesus and the heart of God, how he served others, how he prayed for the forgiveness of others, how he reached out to those who were lost and even those that were least, and that reflects the heart of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might be saying, well, that's great, that's Jesus, but that's not me. And you know what? That's really the key to the Christian life is because if you want to know the truth, nobody can live the Christian life except for Jesus Christ. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we yield to Him every day. That's why He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, and then come follow me. In other words, we have to deny self, we have to die to self, and we have to yield to the Lord each and every day. We need to depend on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and let Him have His way in our life every single day, and that's the key to the victorious Christian life. But as we look today here at 1 Peter, I want you to see what Peter says to us. He says, whenever we're mistreated, God calls you and I to do what's right, and he gives us four keys to help us to get there, okay? The first one is to evaluate our attitude. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. Now, as you look at those uh, words just pile up, let them sink in for a minute. He's talking to all of us. Be like-minded. That's when we're all on the same page. Be sympathetic toward others. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. All of those really start with your attitude, okay? Your, your mind uh, has got to be in the right place in order to have those attitudes in your life. And so when you and I are mistreated, God calls us to do what's right, and the first thing we have to do is evaluate our attitude. Um, I can remember my first full-time job. I graduated college. I ended up, um, you know, I, I intended to go into the ministry, but that path wasn't open yet, and I had to be, um, you know, bivocational, had to be like a tent maker like Paul was in the New Testament. And I had no idea what I was going to do, but I minored in psychology. And did you know that a minor in psychology led to 10 years in mental health? 10 years. And so I got my first full-time job working in mental health. I was a case manager. I was a crisis responder. And at, at first, I really enjoyed it because I was helping people. But after a couple of years, I kind of hit a wall. Morale in the company was low. Uh, there was a revolving door. People were always leaving. Uh, times were very challenging. They were putting more workload on us. And it was very easy to get discouraged. Like all you had to do was say hi to somebody that you work with. And the next thing you know, they're, they're venting and telling you how awful it is. And my attitude started to suffer. And... Um, it didn't happen initially, but after a while, I realized I was caught in this cycle of negativity, and God began to deal with me. And I learned a very valuable lesson uh, about attitude. You know, attitude is uh, determines your altitude. And I learned that, you know, our response to God's Word doesn't depend on other people. It's, you know, it's always tempting. You know, when God speaks to you through His Word, you think of somebody else that needs to hear it. 
But when God's saying it to us, then it's not about them. It's about what God's saying to us. And I learned that what happens in me is more important than what happens to me. I learned that, you know, I can be going through challenging situations and tough times, but am I yielding to God in my heart and my mind every single day? And so I learned some very important things about attitude. And quite frankly, did you know that the Bible instructs us on our attitude? And if you're wondering what the standard is for our attitude, I'll say it this way. Our standard is Jesus. In Philippians 2.5, it plainly says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And before you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm done, I'm out. You don't understand. You're, you're laying all this stuff on me. Look at how Jesus lived. Look, look at what he taught. I can't do that. But look at what Jesus had to give up, okay? It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, uh, Philippians 2, verse 6, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you see that? Jesus of all people, to be the, the Son of God, who's now at the right hand of the Father. He did not consider His equality with the Father. Remember, He said, I and the Father are, are one. He did not consider His equality with the Father to be something that He would exploit as a privilege. Instead, He emptied Himself, and He came to earth, and He was a servant, and He was one of us. And then even when he came and, and came, he was one of us, born of a virgin, and he, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, even then he humbled himself. He became a servant and he died a criminal's death even though he didn't do anything wrong. And he was obedient to the Father even to the point of death. What I'm trying to say is Jesus along the way could have claimed privilege. He could have... Uh, appealed to his rights. He could have said, Father, I can't believe you're making me do this. He could have done all those things, but he didn't. And so when it comes to evaluating our attitude, what I'm trying to say is, out of all the people that could have ever been entitled, Jesus could have been entitled. But what did he do? He did not exploit his privilege. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. Wow, what an example for you and I. And he says, I want you to adopt that same attitude. You, you see, Jesus laid down his rights and he picked up his responsibilities. Matter of fact, keep reading in Philippians 2. I'll pick up in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Now before I read the rest, grab, grab a hold of what he just said there. You know, Paul had told him in chapter 1, 
that God is going to continue to work in your life until Christ comes back. Okay, He who began a good work in you is going to finish what He started. And now He's saying, I want you to work out this salvation that God has given you because God is the one working in you. Okay, We, we don't work for our salvation. Okay, We can't achieve it. We can't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But we work out what God has done in our lives. In other words, we cooperate with Him. We yield to Him. We obey Him. We love Him and we serve Him. We have to cooperate with Him. We have to be willing to say, yes, Lord. And so God is working in us. And He's wanting us to cooperate with Him. And so He says that in verse 12 and 13 before He gives the command in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. You know, that's convicting, isn't it? I read that and I go, man, you know, I, I, I grumble when I know I've got to do something, but I'm not going to be happy about it, right? And I argue about it when I really don't want to do it to start with. And here is God saying, look, if you want to adopt the same attitude that Jesus has, then you've got to be willing to not be entitled, take the form of a servant, and be obedient to the Father no matter what it costs you, and let God work in your life Yield to Him day by day. God's the one doing this work in you. You need to yield to Him. And that means do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. And so he's dealing with our attitude. Remember what we read in 1 John, the one who says he remains in Him should walk just as He walked, just as Jesus did. So I want you to realize we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the promises of the Scriptures. And this gives us the power to live the Christian life. Okay, And that makes all the difference in the world. Whenever we're mistreated, God calls us to do what right, what is right. And that means we have to evaluate our attitude. That's step one. Step two is to entrust yourself to the Lord. What do I mean? There in 1 Peter 3, look in verse 9. He says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who uh, wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And he quotes Psalm 34 there in verses 10, 11, and 12. You see, not only do we have to evaluate our attitude, we have to entrust ourselves to God. Uh, think about this. Jesus knows, the Lord knows what we normally would do if we're not uh, treated well. It says don't pay back evil for evil, don't insult for insult. But it is so natural, isn't it? Yes, it's natural. And so we have to, we have to grab a hold of ourselves and say, Lord, I need you. And, and we do. I, I need Jesus every day, every moment. And so instead of retaliating and paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, it says, on the contrary, 
Be a blessing. Give a blessing. Why? Because you were called to this so that you can inherit a blessing. You know that sowing and reap law that God put in life? Well, if you're going to be kind to your enemies, then ultimately, you know, that will come back to you. And so here he says, entrust yourself to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever been mistreated or if you've ever been misunderstood. Sometimes, no matter how much you try to fix the problem, the situation either gets, stays the same or it gets worse. And when that happens, what do you do? Well, you know that one of my favorite characters in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, is Joseph. Joseph, who had that coat of many colors. That was the son of Jacob, who had all those brothers. You know, Joseph, he was beloved as a son, and he was hated by his brothers because of it. They were jealous of him. And he, his own brothers betrayed him, and they sold him into slavery, and he was taken to Egypt, and they thought, hey, we'll never see that guy again. And when you read his story, you feel sorry for him. You're like, man, here was a, a, a privileged, beloved son, and now his brothers turn on him. His dad doesn't understand him. They fake his death. They sell him into slavery, and off he goes to Egypt, and, well, he'll never see his family again. That's what we think. And yet, as you read Joseph's story, the Bible repeatedly says that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It doesn't matter what kind of problems you're dealing with or anything like that. What matters is this. Is the Lord with you? Is the Lord with you? Because if He's with you and you're aware of His presence, then that's enough. It doesn't matter what tomorrow holds. It doesn't matter what problems you might have later on down the pike. What matters is, is the Lord with you. And years later, at the end of Joseph's story, he's reunited to his brothers, he reveals himself, and then things continue to go on. And finally, when their dad dies, they're like, he's been nice because dad's alive. But now that dad's dead, he's going to really lower the boom on us. And in Genesis 50, verse 20, now dad is dead, and it's just the brothers. And they have this heart-to-heart. And Joseph looks at them and he says, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. You know, I love that. That is so, so powerful. Joseph is saying, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he used it to bring us to where we are are now to save many lives. That's the outworking of Romans 8.28 where it says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Just when you think life is against you, just when you think you can't get a break, if you love God and you're seeking to obey Him and follow His call in your life, He's going to use all things for your good and His glory. And so I love that lesson there. You know, there's been times in my life when I simply just turned to God and cried out for help. I didn't know what else to do. And I realized I can't fix the situation. He's the one that's in control. And at times like that, I'm reminded of a psalm that's really a prayer that really helps us uh, evaluate our attitude and entrust ourselves to the Lord. Psalm 61, verse 1. God 
hear my cry. Pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to a rock that is high above me, for you have been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will dwell in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. I love that because when we run out of strength, when we've got nothing else to give, nothing uh, left to do, we can go to God and say, God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, you are my refuge. You are my strong tower. Uh, I'm going to be with you forever. Give me strength to do what you want me to do. You know, think about Jesus. He said here, don't pay back evil for evil. Don't trade insult for insult, but instead be a blessing so that you can inherit a blessing. Go back a little bit there in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, he's talking about Jesus. And he said, when Jesus was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Did you see that? Now that reflects what happened to Jesus when he was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross on that day, he was insulted, but he didn't insult back. He suffered, but he didn't threaten. He entrusted himself to the one that judges justly. And you and I are to do the same. Whenever we're mistreated, God calls us to do what's right. We do that by evaluating our attitude and entrusting ourselves to the Lord. And the third step is to expect God's peace to keep you. Expect God's peace to keep you. Look in verse 13. Peter raises a rhetorical question. He says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Now think about that question for a minute. Who's going to hurt you if you're trying to do the right thing? Who's going to hurt you if you're trying to do what's good? Well, a naive person will say, you know, I didn't mean anything. I wasn't trying to start anything. I was doing the right thing. Why on earth would they do that to me? That would be a naive person. But if you've lived in the, in the world long enough to know that life's not always fair, you will know that even when you're trying to do the right thing, even when you're trying to do the Christian thing, you can still be hurt because there's people out there that don't care about the things of God. There's people out there that don't care about you. They're only wanting their own agenda. And so he says, who will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness... You are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. In other words, yes, sometimes you can suffer for righteousness. Now, I'm not talking about suffering because you did something stupid, uh, suffering because you did something wrong. I'm talking about suffering even though you did the right thing. You did nothing wrong, and yet you're still suffering for it for righteousness' sake. Peter says you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be intimidated. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. Ultimately, he was restored. Remember, Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Jesus restored Peter to fellowship. He restored Peter to, to service. And then he ascended to heaven. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And Peter is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he boldly preaches the gospel. And people are getting saved. And God is doing some amazing things in Jerusalem. 
And then the religious leaders say, stop that. I don't want to hear anything in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter's not rebellious. He just simply says, you know, we can't stop uh, speaking about the things we've seen and heard. And it's better for us to obey God than man. And he kept on and he kept on. He suffered for righteousness. But he evaluated his attitude. He had entrusted himself to God. And as a result, he expected God's peace to keep him. And it did. You see, whenever you face a conflict or a crisis, God is there to offer you His promise of peace. Even when things go sideways or crazy, He's the one we have to turn to. Notice again that Peter is quoting Old Testament. In verses 10 through 12, he quoted Psalm 34. Now, here in verse 14, he quotes from Isaiah 8, verse 12. I want us to read that verse in a fuller context. In Isaiah 8, verse 11 through 13, here's what it says. It's the prophet Isaiah who says in Isaiah 8, 11, For this is what the Lord said to me with great power, to keep me from going the way of this people. In other words, Isaiah is saying, God spoke to me because I got sucked into the situation of my day and time and I was all up in arms like everybody else. I was losing my mind. My attitude was frustrated. I was ready and considering about taking things into my own hands. And God spoke powerfully to me to keep me from going the way of the crowd. In verse 12, do not call everything a conspiracy. These people say as a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies, is holy. Only He should be feared. Only He should be held in awe. In other words, a lot of people worrying about all the things that could happen and might happen and this, that, and the other. And, and God got a hold of him and said, you know, I'm in charge. I'm in control. Are you going to trust me or not? And Isaiah said, I am going to trust you and I'm not going to fear all the crazy things I'm hearing right now. I'm reminded of another story. You know, we are not to worry about man, but fear God. I'm reminded of another story of, of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down to the image, the, the, the image of gold, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Uh, that story's in Daniel 3.16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, and here's what they said after he ordered them you either bow down or you're going to burn in the fire. And they said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then He can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And He can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if He doesn't, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. I love that, don't you? They said, listen, king, we shouldn't have to answer this question. But here's the truth. Our God is able to save us from the fire, and our God is able to save us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to that idol. We serve a living God, and we're not going to do it. That's not rebellion. That is simply saying we're not going to disobey our God. And so when you come to a crossroads, 
you're going to have to choose. Will you choose fear? Or will you choose faith? You know, a lot of times when people are confronted with doing what's right, even when you've been mistreated, even when you've not been treated right, we go, well, if I do the right thing now, they're going to think I'm weak. If I do the right thing now, they're going to think I'm afraid of them when I'm not. If I do this, then they're going to think, and you just play that out into your head all day long. And yet, I want you to remember that our response to God's Word doesn't depend on other people. When God speaks to us, He's talking to us. Let him, let him handle the situation, but He's talking to us. And remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Now, that because of me is very important. Because here Jesus is talking to Christians that are sold out to God and they're obedient to Him in all things. And the people of the world insult them, they persecute them, they make false accusations against them. And he says, you're blessed when that happens because you're in good company, okay? He says, when you're blessed when they insult you. You're blessed when they persecute you. You're blessed when they falsely say every kind of evil thing against you because of me. If it's all happening because of your relationship with God, you're in good company. Because he says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Kind of funny, isn't it? it? We all can't wait to get to heaven. We all want to have rewards in heaven. Well, this is God's rewards program. When you're sold out to Jesus and you're more concerned about God, uh, what God thinks rather than what the people of the world think, they're going to misunderstand you. They might even accuse you and persecute you. And that's par for the course. They did it to the prophets. They did it to Jesus. And they'll do it to you and I. But rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven if they're doing it because of your relationship with Christ. You know, whenever we're mistreated, God calls us to do what's right. That requires us to evaluate our attitude and trust ourselves to the Lord. Expect God's peace to keep us in the fourth and final one. Express the hope you have in Christ. Look at verse 15. It says, But in your hearts... Regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I hope you see that part that is in you. Because when you live this way, people are going to see Christ in your life and they're going to go, nobody naturally does that. Nobody loves their enemies. Nobody prays for those who persecute those. Uh, uh, them. Nobody uh, does that unless God is doing something in their life. And so they see that in you and that makes a difference. I know that my mom for years worked for the state of Tennessee and um, she had a lot of different bosses through the years. And there was one particular boss that always came in and if there was something wrong, you heard about it. And if you 
and, and, and if, you, if they ever came to you, there was always something wrong. If you, you were okay, you never heard a thing, but something wrong, they came to you and let you know. And one day her boss said, come here, Barbara, shut the door. She's called to the boss's office. Always in the past, if something's wrong, she hears about it. She goes in there, shuts the door, and she goes, I want you to pray for me. Remember that? And I think about that as an example, and I go, you know, as a Christian, we need to realize that those who can be mean to us in the present are going to need our ministry in the future. And that's why you and I need to realize that we need to regard Christ as holy and, and do what He wants from our heart, in our heart, so that we're ready at any time to tell people the reason why we have the hope in us. How can we smile and get through the day when people insult us? How can we treat somebody right even though they're saying things behind our back? How can we do these things unless Christ is in us? And that's the hope we have. And that's when people see that, they want to know, hey, tell me about that. How, how does that work? How, how can you do that? You know, as a Christian, we need to realize that those that are mean, now, might need our ministry later. Think about the thief on the cross. Let me read that very quickly. Matthew records the scene. He says, there were two criminals crucified with Jesus, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way, listen closely, the chief priest with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then verse 44, in the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. Criminals with an S. That means both thieves, the one on the left and the one on the right, are taunting Jesus. And then somewhere in there, Jesus begins to pray. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And these two thieves that are watching everything happen in real time, one of them goes, how can he do that? And Luke gives us the rest of the story in Luke 23, verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us! But the other criminal answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here is a thief that has become repentant because he's had a front row seat to Jesus. He's seen all the insults. He's heard all the derogatory remarks. He's even said a few himself. And he's looking at this man and he goes, he's got to be the Son of God. How else can he take this punishment? How else can he pray for his enemies? 
How else can he go through this? And there's no sense of resentment, no sense of bitterness, no sense of retaliation. He simply says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. And he says, oh, this man has not done anything wrong. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, Jesus tells us to let our light shine so that people can see our good deeds and not pat us on the back, but praise our Father in heaven. And as a follower of Christ, we are called to do what's right, even when we are not treated right. And that means we have to evaluate our attitude. We have to entrust ourselves to God. Expect God's peace to keep you and express the hope you have in Christ. And those are the steps you take in order to be in that position. In order to say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Today we're going to have an invitation. Here in a moment they're going to come up and we're going to sing a song. And it's my prayer today for you that you won't let resentment, you won't let bitterness take root in your life and grow up in your heart and develop a, a hatred for things and a, and a hurt because of what's happened in your life and it cuts you off from what God's trying to do in your life. I want to encourage you today to say, look, Jesus, out of all people, could have been entitled, and yet he laid down the privileges. He laid down his rights, and he picked up his responsibilities. He humbled himself. And if he can do that, who am I to think anything of me? And so you and I have to evaluate our attitude, kind of like a quick gut check. And we need to remind ourselves whose we are and who we belong to and entrust ourselves to the Lord and expect his peace to work in our life. We have His favor. I mean, because of Christ in our life, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And then when the world wonders, how can you do that? Why are you doing that? Then you can smile and say, let me tell you, that ain't me. That's Jesus in me. He's changed my heart. He's changed my life. And that's why I can do what I do. You know, I encourage you today to think about the cross of Christ. Think about what He's done for you and me. And if you never took that first step, maybe that's what God wants you to do. Let's stand, musicians, if you would come. If you've never asked Christ to come into your life, I'm going to ask you right now, right where you are, to pray and ask Him to come into your life. Maybe God is speaking to you. And you need to ask Him to come in right now. Maybe you're already a believer and you've got some hurt and you're just kind of put it in a closet, locked away somewhere. I want to tell you something. Too many people in life are waiting for an apology that never comes. Don't worry about the other person. You can't change or fix the situation, but you can go to God and you say, God, I want to give this to you right now. I want you to take control of my life Here's my pain. Take it too. And release it to God. And hey, if He leads you to go to someone, then you go to someone. And you do what God wants you to do. 
And don't wait for the pat on the back. Don't expect them to go, well, I'm glad you finally came to me and did the right thing. No, you, you do it in the fear of God. You do what God wants you to do. Don't worry about the other person. Make sure that your heart's clear. Make sure, sure that your conscience is, is right with God. So right now, I want to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just simply say, Lord, thank you for Jesus at the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And Father, I just offer myself to you right now. Father, I want to do your will in my life. And right now, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to every heart. I pray that every person, Lord, will say yes, Lord, to you today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.